0: Money FM 89.3. Best of breakfast. The US market update with Money FM 89.3. All right, good morning. Here is how Wall Street is looking. We've got a bit of a turnaround Thursday. The NASDAQ composite advancing overnight, rising to its first closing record since November 2021. And we have the Tech-heavy Nasdaq up 0.9% to close at an all-time high at 16,092. So tech stocks as well as chip stocks rallying into the close. The S&P 500 also popped to a record close, rising 0.5%. And it closes at 5,096. And the Dow Jones Industrial Average up slightly by 0.1% to 38,996. So for more insights, we're joined by Chris Chavez. He is the analyst at Blue Creek Capital Management and Blue Line Capital. Good morning, Chris. Hey, how you doing, Ryan? Great to have you on. And also, Cole Smead. He is the CEO and Portfolio Manager for Smead Capital Management. Cole, thanks for joining us today. Thanks for having me. This is great. All right, great to have you guys on. Let's start with you, Cole, because you've got your eye on inflation quite closely. And it looks like markets have been slowly adjusting their expectations, just aligning themselves more to what the Fed's been saying all along. That, hey, we are looking at maybe three rate cuts. The market's gotten themselves ahead of themselves. What's your take on where things are right now?
1: Let's just look at what's gone on the last couple of years. Um, The groups that were out starting the year looking for six Fed rate cuts were the same groups that have been looking for this magical recession that no one can find either and have been really playing for low rates um, in advance. Why can't the Fed be more accommodative, I think, is a good question. In other words, why are we even having this conversation of why not rate cuts yet? It's because the fiscal largesse being handed out by the U.S. federal government is unprecedented, Mm -hmm. and the amount of debt that's been built up post-COVID is also unprecedented, even worse than World War II. You, as a politician in America today, whether we're talking President Biden or potentially President Trump, neither of those gentlemen can get elected by talking about being fiscally austere Mm. or, or sensible. Populism is very popular, and therefore spending is very popular. What that does is puts the Fed into a bind where they are ultimately the only gate right now at inflation picking back up. And I think if you look at Fed Daily's comments this morning, they're all talking about, you know, we'll, we'll see probably three rate cuts. This looks a lot like 1972. We're at the low of inflation for this period. If the Fed lets um, rates be too easy, we're going to see the next uh, start to the, the inflation conflagration. The fuel is there, a.k.a. the fiscal spending, and all we need is oxygen, which would be the Fed being lax and accommodative.
0: Mm, thanks, Cole. All right, Chris, we've got the PCE index on in overnight. So on year, it's up 2.8%. So the Fed's preferred gauge of underlying inflation rose in January at the fastest pace in nearly a year. Juan, this is due for expectations when it comes to rate cuts.
2: Yeah, I mean, when you look at expectations right now, uh, not much really changed. Um, you know, and expectations for PCE were actually elevated coming off of, you know, hotter than expected CPI and PPI numbers. So when you look at expectations now, you know, about a 65% chance of a cut in June, 86% chance of a cut in July. But, you know, I'll, I'll go back to what Cole was saying, you know, coming into the beginning of the year, you know, everybody who was, you know, expecting the Fed to be more accommodative, markets pricing and about 150 basis points worth of cuts, and you've seen that um, ne- nearly cut in half. I mean, the expectations of interest rates and, and cut expectations have now converged with the Fed's latest mm. summary of economic projections of 75 basis points. So there is now as many cuts priced in by the market as what the Fed had previously guided. And again, I think that goes to the point that you know markets got ahead of themselves and thought that the economy would be weaker, that consumers would stop spending, and you know we'd see weaker economic growth. And that just hasn't been the case, especially with the PC numbers that we got this morning.
0: Yeah, talking about where consumers are spending right now, if I look at the latest inflation numbers, it does suggest more people are having personal income levels rise, that is seeing a rise of 1% when it comes to the personal income levels, and that is being spent on stuff like services right now. So, Cole, are you seeing that play out?
1: Yeah, if you also go look at the Federal Reserve Bank of Atlanta data, they look at year-over-year wage growth by income quartile, and what you'll find is there is not a single American quartile that is not beating inflation. In other words, we're sitting around here wondering why the economy continues to stay strong while the government's spending a lot of money, and you go look at the individual collecting incomes, and you'll find that they're doing wonderfully. How are we going to have low inflation when the people collecting wages are making over 5% while we're telling everybody that, you know, oh, hey, it's only 2.8%. We're handing out too much money. It is, it's the strength of the economy. It's why the labor numbers are not showing up weak. That's why the economics continue to outperform. It isn't about tight monetary policy. And I think the bad model, if you will, Mm. everyone's looking back to 2008, 2009, saying Fed raises rates, economy crumbles, labor markets crumble, housing crumbles. Economy, housing, and labor, how are they doing? Wonderfully. It shows you how much spending is being thrown into the U.S. economy in a way that the only counteracting balance is the Fed. I'll add one more thing. Go look at what uh, Larry Summers has been saying. Larry Summers said there's a 15 or 20% chance that the next move is a hike. What? <laughs> okay. Okay. There, I think there's a more than 50% chance we end this year without a rate cut if the Fed's being smart about it. Okay. But look at how things have already moved. Those percentages that uh, Ryan mentioned, um, th- those all started the year very different. So the market has been wrong at predicting this is mm-hmm. one way of thinking about this. Chris, wants also take take um, chances of a hike instead of a cut? I mean, I, I think it's it's an interesting
2: debate, certainly. You know, I would say that you know, coming into an election year, I don't know if we're actually going to see too much of an accommodative Fed. I would see that you know, there's a possibility that you know maybe in the next summer of economic projections, especially with how inflation is heated up and how it's you know, Ryan's point again, the consumer has continued to spend. You know, and we've continued to see things heat up. You know, maybe we see expectations come in lower or median estimates call for a lower Fed funds rate. Or you know, but I think really here one of the risks is is the real interest rate as well. And you, know, you started to slowly see that creep back up, and the real interest rate starts to become a little bit too restrictive. Maybe consumers start to tap out a bit. I mean, initial jobless claims that we got this morning slightly higher. Uh, We also got higher revisions, of course, is a week by week indicator. You don't want to put too much weight on this, Um, but also looking at durable goods and Mm. a lot of things that consumers were spending going back into high inflation. You know, you saw a lot of consumers spending on things like TVs and now, you know, you've seen durable goods, a little bit of deflation there. Um, So I think that there has been a little bit of slowing. But again, to to Cole's point, it's nothing that I think the Fed would want to cut just yet, especially with inflation. Heating back up.
0: Yeah, it's also quite interesting to see how businesses have been trying to adapt to, I suppose, new realities of new business models. One of them is Wendy's, the fast food restaurant. And they've come up with a bit of an interesting take, surge pricing, like how Uber would you know, make you pay more at certain times, maybe during crunch time, you might have to pay more for your burger or fries. Cole, is this the right way to go, surge pricing?
1: Uh, well, it just makes me wonder uh, what Wendy's does when they stay up open after midnight and people come back from being at the bars. Um, that would be the ultimate time to charge whatever you want. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but I, I just say, because I, I, I think this is more about their business model. You know, I mean, airlines do this. Um, we've seen this in a lot of other businesses pick up. I think this will be, you'll continue to see this, but it's really about, uh, like we were talking about before, when in their dead times, their quiet times, mm. how can they gain marginal revenue that makes the overall business more profitable? Because even though it might take a small margin, it's Cash flow that it didn't have, all things equal. Um, so it might not be about surging when you know a bunch of drunk people show up and you don't really want them there. It might be more so about doing that in hours that are dead, say in between lunch and mm. breakfast, for example. Chris, are you a fan of Wendy's?
2: I mean, hey, I love I love Wendy's. I, I think as far as the surge pricing is is concerned, I agree with Cole one hundred percent. I mean, even from the Uber revenue segment side of things, I mean, you've seen deliveries, you know, nearly ten x as a portion of their revenue segment. Consumers have continued to you know, buy deliveries. I mean, I don't know. I, I think that it, there could be, you know, a case for them actually gaining some attraction with this. But it's all about margins, bottom line. And, mm. you know, I, I think Cole hit it right on the head.
0: You know, Chris, talk about margins, the folks getting margins these days, are uh, the AI... Stuff. No, anyone with an AI play these days is getting quite a lot of interest. How much are you interested in getting the AI at this point? Because valuations are looking quite rich right now.
2: Actually, I don't I don't think so. Our president Bill Baruch, president and founder of Blue Line Capital, he was just on CNBC today. He talked about some new positions that we were adding in, in our portfolios and we're now slightly overweight the benchmark when looking at NVIDIA, same with AMD. And I think that there can be a case that, you know, valuations are a bit stretched. We've seen a large run, but we're looking out to twenty twenty. 26 right now, if this really is the beginning of AI, you know, these disruptors and this revolution, I think we're still at the beginning stages of this revolution. And when you're looking at 2026 multiples, you know, Nvidia and AMD both traded a multiple of 27 times. That's not very rich, and and I think that there's still some room for multiple expansion, especially if you start to see some of these investments that they've made, like Nvidia taking a stake in Arm, mm-hmm. SoundHound as well, which reported after the bell, and even looking at Microsoft too, which has been a big AI winner. You know, they trade at 26 times, looking out to uh, 2026. So I don't think that valuations are too stretched if this is really the beginning of the AI revolution, and that's that's our thesis. You
0: know, Chris is sounding quite optimistic. I'm looking at Nvidia's
1: stock price up more than 200% in the past year. Cole, how bullish are you? That's a great question. So I'm going to quote the great technology theologian, Jeff Bezos. Your margin is my opportunity. Okay. Um, if you go out and look at NVIDIA, I think I'm using this year's numbers. They make 60% net income margins. Okay. If you had a neighbor or a friend and you found out their business was producing after tax profits of 60% on the revenue they had, what would you do? You'd go into their business, and congratulations. I look at AI right now, kind of like the fat drugs, you know, GLP uh, ones. <laughs> uh, you know, the fat drugs are the, very much the same. They're very exciting. They're very profitable. They're very interesting. The only problem is that excites a lot of competition. So if you use if you use this year's numbers, I think I think Nvidia trades at forty times revenue on this year's revenue. That would be like saying over the next forty years, I'm going to pay no expenses and I'm going to pay no taxes, which in most countries is illegal by nature. And therefore, I will get my money back in 40 years. This excitement looks like Chinese tech stock or Chinese stocks in 2010. It looks like Japanese stocks in 1990. Um, we're treating this as though American companies are the end-all to the world. It's the most glorious thing we've ever seen, just like American companies back in the early 1990s adopted Japanese-style business practices. AI is going to do great things. I highly doubt the margin is going to end at 60%. I think that's foolish. Go look at any growing technology, and what you'll find is the price points continue to drop rapidly over the following 20 years. Why? Because as adoption picks up, so does competition and margins go down. So I think there's a real margin question, even as growth shows up. I mean, we think about you know the, the, let 's use an Apple iPhone they used to make forty percent gross margins on that they don 't today they 're trying to find every way to get back to that and, and they really can't so I think that does a really good job of showing what happens in technology grows. but I just pointed out because this excitement we, we think it'll end in nothing but misery the capitalization of these in the s p 500 we think the p will not make money, including dividends reinvested over the next decade so I mean here we are in Southeast Asia you figure that oh people would be more you know uh, not biased towards this thought process. And the answer is no. Most Southeastern Asian investors, they own this lock, stock, and barrel.
0: It sounds a bit more measured Cole. So where would you be, I suppose, looking elsewhere for where to put your money?
1: Yeah, it's a great question. We love going into places after people get their head kicked in. So, for example, in the last six months, we've been going out and buying regional banks. Why? Because people just got their head kicked in. Our biggest portfolio holdings across our U.S. or our our ex-U.S. portfolio is energy. We've made wonderful money in the space looking back three years, but to your point, over the last 12 to 18 months, no one's really made that good of money. It's kind of gone nowhere for that period. And you've had this big AI run, so the question people are asking themselves is, um, what have you done for me lately? Mm -hmm. And the reality is, um, we like the returns on capital. We can go out and make about 20% return on equity in the energy companies, and we're paying less than two times book. You know, To our discussion earlier on the NVIDIA game or any of the big Microsofts, etc., the multiples on book are obscene. To where if they don't grow their capital at the rate they are right now, it will end in nothing but misery. I'll add one more thing. If you look at the history of the S&P 500, it peaks with the height of return on capital. So when return turn on capital peaks, everyone wants to pay the highest price. If it goes down, they pay lower prices. And I think that's the real risk is that what we're seeing now, I mentioned there's a bunch of government spending. How much is government spending affecting these discussions? Um, typically, government adopts technology the first. Go look at Palantir, for example. Mm. How much is that conflating what's going on right now? And we just don't, again, I'm not saying I know where that's going perfectly. I just know the risk is not attractive. Mm. Cold brother, point
0: about energy prices, uh, oil prices. Um, this is where you've got your eye on as well Chris where we've got potential OPEC plus production cut so how is that going to play out for your optimism around energy right now?
2: Yeah, I mean, I think that, you know, it's not going back to technology briefly, too. I Mm. I think that in an efficient portfolio, you know, understanding the proper weighting in which one hold is very important and is key. So just to hit on that briefly, but now going back to the energies, you know, specifically, I do think there is some opportunity, you know, OPEC plus coming out with potential production supply cut extensions, I do think that crude oil and, and energies as a whole have been in, in a lot of distress. Consumers have still remained strong. And, and I think they're still spending there. That's happening. And you know as we're heading into some of these warmer months and seasonality, I think the demand for travel and even transportation is still going to remain elevated. And I think that makes a great case for crude oil. You know, even on the industrial side of things, I think there's a lot of opportunities too. When looking at industrials today, like names like Caterpillar and United Rentals, you know, closed at all time highs. I think there's a lot of industrials that are flying under the radar amidst this AI rally. Energies too, a lot of these refiners that are flying under the radar as you know you are seeing AI kind of engulf the markets. And I think there's a lot of opportunities there too.
0: Now, Chris, I'm wondering as well, is it gonna be an election play as well when you talk
2: about infrastructure? I think so. I mean, I think one of the interesting takes to be even coming into to the beginning of the year is uh, non-farm for the month of December show just a massive amount of increase in, in government jobs specifically. And I think again to Cole's point earlier, there's still a massive amount of fiscal stimulus right now. And I think you know, heading into the election year, that's the current you know administration wants to keep that up to continue to prop up the U.S. economy. One thing I will say too is even on the inflation front, you've seen some stickiness in healthcare. And you know, now with this recent DOJ probe, United Health. I think that's another way for, you know, the current administration to try and get some of these costs a bit lower uh, for consumers, bring down inflation and kind of take a little bit of a victory lap, you know, heading into the election.
0: All right. Final thoughts and takeaways for investors to digest as they hit towards the rest of the year. Cole the What should investors be thinking about as they navigate 2024?
1: Yeah, I think the the best investing is always a negative art. In other words, the bad things in your life, if you can remove them, you're going to do a lot better off. And that's how we look at today's circumstances. In other words, if there's problems out there, avoid them. Uh, Don't cause yourself to be inflicted by those. What you do own outside of that will probably do much better in light of that. So again- I'm, we're looking at a world where it's like, do I want to take the AI slash magnificent seven slash SP 500 risk? Not at all. I'll take my boring energy companies, my boring banks, and my boring mall rates in the United States.
0: All right. I suppose it's better to be rich and be right in the sense. So, as long as you make money. Correct. All right, Chris, let's get to you. What are your. Takeaways. All your final thoughts for 2024.
2: Yeah, I'll, I'll piggyback off Cole there a little bit. I mean, I think there's a lot of different ways to skin a cat. I mean, even look at Abercrombie and Fitch. I mean, and how much consumers have just spent, and how much the demand for apparel has even been strong. You compare some of those returns with what Nvidia has done. There's many different ways to skin a cat. I think really the most important thing, especially when talking about you know constructing an efficient portfolio, is the weighting in which and the exposure you have to some of these specific sectors. You know, relative to the under economy. And I think that's really the most important thing is the position sizing and risk management that that an investor can implement.
0: Mm, You just heard from Chris Chavez. He is the analyst at Blue Creek Capital Management and Blue Line Capital. And also with us is Cole Smead, CEO and Portfolio Manager for Smead Capital Management. Thank you for your time, guys, and your great insights. Thank you. Thanks, Ryan. All right. Stay Money FM 89.3. Before acting on the information on Money FM, please consider if it's suitable for your own investment objectives, financial situation, and risk tolerance. To listen to more great interviews, download our podcasts at audio.sg or download the audio app. That's A W E D I O audio at the App Store and Google Play.